Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The other side of that was my growth edge. Initially, especially, I would say, hey, I'm noticing this thing is harder than it feels like it should be or is working or is landing or whatever. And, you know, you and and or Allie would say, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Or ask a question. And, you know, you'd say, so what do you propose we do instead? And I'd be like, oh, right. <laughs> like, I'm not my, like, it's not just going to be for someone else, you know, smarter and with more experience to figure out the smart thing we're going to do. That's, that's part of my responsibility as well. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my benevolent co-host, Rodney <laughs> Evans. Hey, y'all. We are also joined by our own colleague, Alistair Stewart. Al, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. On today's episode, we're going to talk about coming aboard at a company like The Ready, or what we like to call The Prologue. But before we get into The Prologue and figure out what happens there, let's check in. Let's do it. So we'll start this episode, like all the episodes, with a check-in. And also, like all the episodes where we have a team member, we'll make them do it. Alistair, over to you. Yeah. All right. So I thought for today we could go with, when was the last time you were way outside of your comfort zone? Okay. Yesterday on my Wednesday off experiment, I dug out and laid down a small stone pathway and I've never done anything like that before. And it was way harder than I thought it was going to be. And the uh, stones that I picked probably weighed like 40 pounds each. And there was legit a moment when I was halfway through, I had broken the tarp, dragging it behind the car and drained my car's battery (laughs) and just had this giant pit and wasn't sure I could move the stones and was like, hmm, I may be in over my head here now. But I just took a break and shook it off. And then I finally finished it. But it was really like, okay, I'm well out of my depth for for a minute. (laughs) I have a very visual impression of that. <laughs> I'm going to take the question super literally and talk about recent discomfort and say that there's been a game on the Oculus that we all have been using at the ready that you know about if you've been listening to the retreat episode. And it's a boxing game that has recently become popular with some of our colleagues that they mentioned we should try. So I downloaded it and did that as my workout yesterday. And I was very, very winded. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I was like really trying to catch my breath like I was in an actual boxing match and felt like I might pass out. And and it occurred to me that maybe my cardiovascular health could use a little more juice. So I'm going to keep doing it. But I was like, I was like holding the wall. Yeah, I have played that same game. And I think almost got to the point where my Apple Watch was going to tell me to stop before I died. 
So I can, yeah, it, it's a, it's a real thing for me. What comes to mind is I, I recently skied for the first time and uh, I went with a, a good friend who's a good skier. So I didn't take lessons or anything. And, and he is a great teacher and coach, but I did one, one or two sort of quick runs down the bunny slope. And then we went to the, the top of a real one. And I basically just fell my way all the way down, which was just really uncomfortable and kind of embarrassing and uh, a little scary. And there were children zipping by me on all sides. Occasionally, someone would stop to ask if I was okay. But, you know, having, having done that a couple of times, I sort of started to get my bearings, which was a lot of fun. So definitely put me in a very humble learner's mindset, which was good in retrospect. <laughs> Skiing is just controlled falling. All right. So today's episode is the prologue, the early days at a self-managing company. And we wanted to start by asking you, you've been here, what, about 11 months? So your prologue experience is still very fresh in your mind. Like you can actually remember what it was like when you first got here, hopefully. And I thought maybe start by just describing the last year at a very high level. What were the steps and stages and moments, processes, anything that comes to mind that you can recall about coming into a system like this? So I can, I can remember it, I can remember it pretty well. I don't have the, the best memory in the world, but um, it was interesting because I joined right as COVID was really sort of taking hold in the States and everything was getting locked down for the first time. So it was, a, it was an interesting time to join a new organization. And I remember being extremely excited that the opportunity happened because sure, right after my last interview, it was like the world got, got turned upside down and we weren't sure what was going to happen. But, but part of that, you know, one of the things that's been interesting about my first 11 months here is I've never met some of the folks that I work most closely with in person before ever in real life, which is really interesting and, and weird. But it's I think it speaks to how useful it is when an organization is intentionally distributed, and sort of how much more resilient I think you can be because I was able to, to join the company and get to know my team and get to know the client and, and do all of these things really in a way that was that was pretty frictionless from a logistics perspective, you know, I think because the ready had already been working remotely. And so all of those things were in place. But generally, it was just, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a real learning experience the, the whole way. I mean, just learning more about how the ready does this work and how we work with clients and especially, you know, in big transformation projects has been really interesting. I feel like I learned something every day and, and working with people who are frankly so good at this work and have so much experience has been, has been amazing. And so that's been, you know, a huge part of it. And then also, yeah, I think joining a self-managing organization, joining an organization that I've held in high regard for, for quite a long time and, and stepping into what was essentially sort of a dream role has brought a lot of my own my own stuff to the surface too and, and given me a chance to, to work with it in terms of imposter syndrome and and sort of self-doubt in some places and really having to again get out of your comfort zone and try things and get feedback and, and mess things up, both in terms of the client work and in terms of the working inside of a, a self self-managing organization like like the ready. So I think it's been overall really a, a learning and growth process inside the ready, doing the client work. But I think the support that I've gotten really from everyone, everyone, but especially for the folks that, that I've worked most closely with has been a game changer. So it's been great. Nice. I definitely remember a check-in question when you and I and Allie were in a meeting and we were like, let's make the check-in question how tall we think each other are. Because though we had been meeting constantly, <laughs> basically for a couple of months, we like had never seen each other's, uh, you know, from the waist down. And I distinctly remember Alistair believing, and I still believe in my mind, that you would be like pocket-sized. Actually, you're a giant, as we learned that day, which was so funny. I was like, I don't know, like 
five five. You were like six. How tall are you? Like six something? Six one. Yeah, it's so wild. So weird. <laughs> um, so for everybody in our situation, play that game. Like, what kind of shoes do you think he wears? <laughs> Who can say? I'll never know. Who um, can say? Or maybe I'll know someday. Um, so you started to allude to this, and actually, I had a conversation with a current prologue member this morning on this topic. So I'm going to poke at it with you. I feel like without exception, I truly cannot think of an exception to this. Everyone goes through a weird like ego excavation during their first six to 12 months at the ready where, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But you know, one of them is that when we come from non-self-managing systems, we have something to blame for being reactive. We're basically like, I'm mad because this sucks and I can't do anything about it. So I can just be mad. And at the ready, you can't really do that. You don't really have the luxury of just like staying triggered and pissed off because, you know, you have agency to to fix things. And, and, and also you just have a ton of autonomy to do what you want. And that comes with like pros and cons. So I just, I think of this gauntlet that people go through and that if you can come out of the other side, then there's kind of no going back in the best way. But during that period of time, it's like really rough sledding. So you started to mention some things like imposter syndrome and self-doubt. Like, tell me about the gauntlet for you. Like, how was it? How are you now? What would you tell people who are standing on the diving board of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's certainly true. I think there's probably different flavors for for different people. You know, I imagine that it's, you know, there's one flavor if you if you were to join an organization like the Ready with just decades of experience doing organizational transformation or, or other things and having to sort of unlearn unlearn some of that stuff and, and learn the, the Ready's way, I think that would be one style. For me, this was sort of a step in terms of career progression and really leaning into doing this work at a particular scale and in a particular way. And, and so for me, it was more about initially I could sort of, I could sort of use uh, or I could lean on the idea that I'm new to the ready and I'm just sort of in, in learning mode and observing mode and taking it all in mode. And, and, and what I realized over time was that I was using that as an excuse not to take risks. Mm. And I think a lot of this is less, less on the client side, but, but certainly internally in terms of being in, inside the ready, you know, I would sort of, there would be conversations happening in Slack or in our operative meetings or wherever it might be. And I might have a perspective or an idea or a suggestion, but it would sort of feel risky to put my perspective out there, even if about something sort of uncontroversial. And I would sort of use this idea of like, oh, you know, I'm new. I just, I'm still observing and absorbing and I'll just see, I'll see how it unfolds. And so I realized, you know, over time that that really was becoming something I was, I was sort of relying on to avoid getting outside of my comfort zone. And I think a major inflection point to that for me was when I converted from being a prologue member to a full member and, you know, had governance rights. And, you know, I really sort of felt the, the shift and increase in, in sort of accountability to the system. And, and so I was like, okay, I have to step into this accountability and I have to be willing to, you know, have a perspective and, and take some, some risks internally in conversations we have, because that's, that's sort of what I owe to the, the organization. And so I think that was a big inflection point for me in terms of getting past that stuff. So that's one thing I would say. And then the other thing I would say, and this would be true, I think inside the ready and in the client work is you really have to, to experiment. It, it really is sort of a microcosm of, of the, the way that we sort of coach and support clients through transformation of really sort of tuning into what you're sensing in terms of things that aren't working or, or opportunities you see or sort of adjacent possibles. And then trying some stuff in the real world, whether it's writing a message in Slack in the Ready's um, Slack workspace or 
you know, speaking up more in a conversation with the client or something like that, or facilitating in a different way, and really noticing, noticing what happens, noticing that you survive it, noticing that your team is there to support you and that you get really useful feedback and, and you can make it that much better next time. And you also just learn a ton about the systems you're within through doing that. And so I think the biggest thing I would say to, to someone who's sort of starting on that journey is there's a lot of value and benefit to paying attention when you're new to the system, you know, really listening and learning and understanding. And then uh, before too long, you really have to start experimenting and, and taking some sort of safe to fail, safe to try, right? Uh, controlled risks so that you can grow yourself and, and also learn more about all of the different people and systems you're, you're interacting with. So I'm curious just to get really tactical for a second. How many days had you been here when you were first in front of a client? I think it was within a week. And maybe Rodney, you might remember, but it was almost immediately. Yeah, I was going to say three. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and how many days until you were alone with a client? Uh, <laughs> a couple more. I think <laughs> when, when I joined, we were uh, on the project, we were just like, there's a lot of a lot of work spinning up. And so we really sort of needed to sort of, you know, d- divide and conquer across a lot of work. So mm-hmm. it, it happened pretty quickly. But I think part of that was because Rodney and Allie, who, who were on my project team, just did a really phenomenal job of getting me situated quickly and, and providing me the sort of support and, and information and, and advice that I needed. And we were very intentional about the things that I did by myself, the things I paired on, the things I sort of took a backseat on, the things I took more of a, a lead on, and always always giving each other feedback and things like that. So, so I'd, say, I'd say pretty quickly, but I think we were pretty intentional about it. And how much longer did it take to feel sort of comfortable with the rest of the ready system, like where you felt like you knew everyone else who worked here and kind of knew what we were all about? I mean, I think it it sort of depends. I think there, in some ways, I don't feel like I'm there yet, you know, and I, I guess in some <laughs> ways, you're never really there because these things are always, everything's always changing, right? So I think pretty quickly, one of the things I did when I joined was I, and the, the, the ready was a little smaller then, so it was easier was to just grab 30 minutes with everyone individually. Um, because I, one of the things that, that surprised me, not surprised me, but that I, I hadn't thought about was how much, how sort of project team centric we are, which I think it makes sense, but just like how much time you spend with your project team and how little time you spend with everyone else. And so I, I wanted to make sure I at least sort of had a conversation with everyone within my first couple of weeks. And, and I think that really, really helped just, you know, first of all, just meeting everyone and having literally everyone to a person be really welcoming and supportive and, 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 cool and and helpful. And then from there, it just depended, you know, being in a couple of our governance meetings and a couple of our growth meetings and just getting a sense for that, I think getting comfortable pretty quickly. And I think Slack is for us is an interesting, or at least for me, has been an interesting sort of domain where it it took a while to really get get a grip of how to sort of interact with it and and interpret it. And, you know, as we've talked about before, as a company, you know, it's like, there's not always consistency in in how much traction a post or a message might get or how what emoji reactions show up and like things like that when you're in a distributed organization. And, you know, there's a pandemic happening and you're not seeing people face to face. Like those things take on a lot of weight and meaning or potential meaning. And so I think that was a place where it it took me a while to sort of see enough to feel like my, my pattern matching was working. But I think there are still nuances and aspects inside the ready that I definitely wouldn't say I'm totally have a sort of full grasp of. This leads me to a conversation that I was just having earlier today, actually with a client person. I think that there's a thing when you are working in a company like the ready or really any self-managing system that's not 
I want to say that's not a strict product org, but I don't even know if that assumption is true. So put a pin in that for a sec. There is a thing about what is standardized that we really have some dogmatism about and what is default, which is like good template to draw from. And then where there's just like full white space for the experimentation that you were talking about. How have you thought about that in terms of your learning and your starting points? Like where do you look at standards or proposed standards? Where do you default or deviate from default? And where Mm -hmm. are you like, I actually know something from my previous life, or I see a better way, or nobody has taken this hill yet. I'm going to try something. Like, Mm -hmm. how have you sort of thought about that? Because I think it's actually one of the sort of edgiest places for people entering self-management. Well, I mean, I think that's certainly where my sort of particular flavor of grappling with my ego came in, insofar as, again, that sort of like, let me just observe and be respectful of the system and really take it all in was a way of avoiding making some of those decisions. But I think one of the first things was just getting a sense of what's really important to the ready, like what's what's sort of sacred. And so right off the bat, thinking about our governance and, and how we do governance and what our agreements are and what our roles are. And as I, as I joined and, and jumped into Notion, where we keep all that stuff and started really looking through the agreements and looking through the roles, it was just, it was very important to me that I knew what those things were and that I was, I sort of fulfilled them and, and respected them as really important to the, the system, which I think is probably different than a lot of places where you, you know, you join an organization and there's tons of rules and red tape and most of it gets ignored. Some of it doesn't. And you kind of figure <laughs> that out as you go. Uh, and right. so I think that was one one difference was was trying to to pay attention to to that stuff. That I think was a, was a hard question to answer. It was not clear to me for a little while where it was sort of appropriate or safe or a, sort of acceptable to run with things. You know, I think from what I can tell, the ready has seen it both ways in the past with with folks joining and sort of immediately wanting to bring their own stuff and really be focused on integrating their own expertise and and tools and things like that, which hasn't really worked. And also sort of the version that I did, which also could have been better, was the the really taking a while to get around to that part. But I think, especially once I'd I'd been at the first retreat and sort of seen, you'd been a part of the initiative process and seen what it looked like for, for people to sort of come up with these ideas for things we might focus on and the the way we approached asking questions about those those potential initiatives and and contributing to them and things like that helped me understand that there is a lot of basically you know if there's a lot of a lot of space that's intentionally open that we haven't sort of governed explicitly so that we can you know sort of notice things and and try things so i, I still don't feel like and i don't know if there is a a super clear rubric necessarily other than that governance is sort of you know is is agreed upon until it's not anymore but in terms of like where where there's room to play and where there isn't so i think that was something that was challenging uh, of not knowing what the implicit norms might be or, or what the sort of unknowns might be coming into the system so speaking of not knowing at least at the ready and this is true at not all workplaces but in a lot of workplaces the prologue period is almost like a trial period right it's a two-way trial where the new member, the prologue member, and the system are trying to decide, did we get it right? Is there a fit here? And so what I'm wondering about from your perspective is, how far in to the experience were you when you knew that the ready was right for you? And what were like the triggers or experiences or moments that helped you have clarity about that? And then how far in were you feeling like you were right for it and had some kind of confidence or 
relaxation or moment of relief, like this feels like this is working. When did that happen? And what were the circumstances around that? Yeah, so to be honest, I I joined the ready with the assumption, you know, that it was right for me. And that assumption was going to be validated or not. But I didn't come from a place of, of I'm not sure which way it'll go. I came from the place of I'm, I'm pretty confident this is going to be the place for me. And if not, that's okay, too. But so I don't think basically, I spent the whole prologue period not being proven wrong about that. So I wouldn't say there was a moment where I was like, okay, this is the place for me, because I, I think I felt that way from the beginning. I think the other side of that was was really interesting. So so when I joined, I was, I think, the second prologue member after sort of the prologue member thing was added to the, the system. And there, when I joined, there was not a lot of clarity around how the sort of conversion decision would be made. Like, who would decide if a prologue member, you know, got the opportunity to become a full member? How would they decide? What criteria would they use? Things like this. And so as I got further into my prologue period, that was creating some tension for me because I didn't know how to evaluate how I was doing from that perspective. I knew I was getting feedback from Ali and Rodney about my client side work, and um, I didn't think anything was going too far off the rails, but I didn't really have a sense of how can I sort of self-assess against this sort of decision. And it was it was cool because that was a chance for me to see, see self-management in, in action because I brought that tension to Rodney and Ali, and we sort of talked through it. And I think within a week or two, they had brought a proposal to our governance meeting to really clarify how that decision was going to happen. And so just having clarity on that really helped me get a sense of that. And then the other piece that was baked into that agreement is that, you know, your project team, if you're on a project for the entire prologue period, your project team makes the decision as to whether you're sort of, you know, are offered that that opportunity to convert to a member. And part of the agreement is as the project team, you know, if you see an issue or a trajectory or a skills gap or something like that, that you think might put them at risk of not being sort of eligible to become a full member, you have agreed to, to tell them that. And so that created a ton of, of sort of safety and, and comfort for me because I knew that no news essentially was good news, you know, and I, and I was getting a lot of, I was still getting a ton of feedback that was really helpful in terms of client interactions and like, and, and things like that. But I didn't have to wonder so much overall, does it seem like I'm a good fit for the ready? You know, I feel like this is going well, but I don't know what I don't know, because I knew that and I trusted that if, if that was unfolding, that, that Allie and Rodney would tell me. So it was at that point that a lot of that, that sort of fell away. And I felt a, a lot more at ease in the sort of prologue situation. What's it like to join a company where you don't have a boss? So it, it was interesting for me because I have spent most of my career in in positions where I have managed my own time and efforts. And I've not had a lot like a ton of oversight or I haven't had particularly controlling bosses. So in terms of sort of like managing my own work on a day to day basis, that that was something I already, you know, was familiar with. But I think what was what was interesting for me was just noticing where either the lack of uh, the ambiguity or the lack of, you know, someone with, with clear authority could sort of provide me a sense of, of certainty or, or stability or, or something like that. And I'm sort of, I do better in more democratic environments. I'm not great at having um, a boss, to be honest with you, but in a conventional organization, there's one main relationship you really have to manage, right? And generally, and that's like, if your boss is happy with you, feels good about your work, you're probably okay. And so joining a, you know, and so but there's, there's trade-offs to that, right? So joining a self-managing organization where we have a reputational system and there isn't any one person where as long as they feel good about the work you're doing, like you're totally good to go. 
Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot more complexity to manage there. And I think there's more anxiety. For me, there was more anxiety around, it is important that I, I build relationships with, with a, a breadth of people. And like the, impression I, the impressions I make in our company-wide meetings, like they, they matter. Um, and they, they would matter anyway, and I would feel that way anyway, but they like really, really, really matter in terms of like how, you know, the work you're going to get to do and, and the opportunities that are going to be presented to you. So there's a lot of complexity to manage in terms of, of navigating those things. But I also think you get more flexibility and you get more resilience too. Like I think on the same token, if you and one other person for whatever reason don't don't get along, which I haven't found that person yet, but you never know. Um, they, they, you know, someone on Give the other time. end, yeah, someone Give on the time. other end we'll might, might, might say differently. <laughs> but you know, that's that's okay. Like you have other relationships that that you can lean on in terms of people to work with and, and people to connect with. So I think you you get more resilience. Whereas if you have a boss. If you can get that boss to like you, then you're probably doing pretty well. Um, but if they don't, or if they're terrible to work with, then you're kind of out of luck. Right. That's your um, whole experience yeah. in a nutshell. Yeah, that's that's the whole thing. So so if it goes well, it's it's much more straightforward to manage, but how well it can go is limited. And if it doesn't go well, it can it can be a real nightmare. So that I think was one aspect of it. And, and then just the the degree of I think responsibility and accountability that you have and the decisions that you you must make for yourself is is really interesting too. So, you know, we all set our own pay. And so joining the organization and within the first week or two, having to decide like, how much am I going to get paid? And that's up to me. It was really interesting because I, as I was thinking about it at that time, and, and we got a lot of advice from each other, which is really helpful, but there was no one who was going to say, no, that's not enough. I'm going to make it X. And there, there was no one who was going to say, yeah, no, you're not allowed to have that much. You know, we can't sustain it financially. It was just advice, you know, about well, maybe I, you know, if I were you, I might go a little higher, but I'm just one person. Or I don't know, if I were you, I might go a little lower and and sort of be be more staffable on projects for the time being. But you know, I'm just one person. And so it was like, you know, it's really up to me to make this decision and to live with the the consequences one way or the other. And no one was gonna come save me from that, which which was a really interesting sort of moment for me near the beginning of, of that journey. And then also just recognizing with that, there's something of because we have this participatory governance model, and because we we have, and by we, I mean others, and you two in, in particular, I think, have done so much work to really clarify our working agreements and create sort of really clear enabling constraints, new folks can have a ton of responsibility and a ton of authority almost from the very beginning, but with limited risk to the organization. And I think that's also... It takes a while to sort of learn to lean into that. But I think that's a really interesting benefit that I've noticed is, you know, we can have people from day one or week one, noticing things, making decisions, forwarding the the action, either internally or externally. And at the same time, no one has so much authority that that they can sort of sink the ship, especially not in the in the first six months. So that's also been, I think, a, a huge benefit, but something that takes a lot of getting used to. Yeah, that's a good segue to something I wanted to ask you about, because I I think as a prologue member, you did a really good job. You did a lot of good jobs, Alistair. Um, but one of the things that I think you were uniquely and very good at was paying attention to where and how you could be helpful without being annoying. I think you were very conscious and conscientious about the amount of time and and investment that particularly Ali and I were making into your onboarding and training. And so I think you did a really nice job of being like, hey, like I love Notion and I'll go like make 
templates and tables or like, I love mural and I'll like make all of these. And like, I feel like you did a good job of like scanning the horizon and being like, what can I do to actually contribute here in a way that doesn't take more of their time and effort, but is, is actually helpful. And it's a, it's a place that I see people fall down pretty frequently like where someone comes in and they're like, you know what? I don't know why you guys use Slack. Why don't we do this thing? And it's like, bro, it's your third day here. Why don't you take a knee, read, read the <laughs> governance record and uh, come back to me in two months. Okay. So for people who are entering a self-managing system, how did you think about that? Like, how did you think about what you knew how to contribute, how to be helpful while also not being like a tax? Because mm-hmm. everybody's going to be a tax. You're necessarily going to be a tax on the tenured people when you're the new person who doesn't know shit. That's to be expected. But I think you were less taxing than most people. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's good to know. That's good to know. Um, so the first thing for me and the biggest thing, and this goes as everything inevitably does back to the sort of ego question, was to try to really, really, really pay attention to whether I was actually trying to be helpful or I just wanted to prove myself or reassure myself or like signal a particular attitude or a particular whatever, because I think really good. That's a very dank nug people, people (laughs) of America, people of Germany, where apparently we have a lot of listeners also. That's a dank nug to just put a pin in. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. I think that that was, that was the biggest thing for me because the places where I know that I can inadvertently like do the annoying or taxing thing is, is when actually what I'm trying to do is something other than be helpful. Um, you know, any of those things sort of prove myself or, or seem useful or whatever those things are. So that, I think that's the first, that was the first thing. I think the second thing was to, to ask explicitly. So Mm. before I, invested a bunch of time in something or before I sort of obligated anyone else to invest a bunch of time in something, I would, I think I would, and you can, you can tell me if I'm wrong, Rodney, but I would just sort of say like, Hey, it seemed like it might be helpful for me to do very specific thing that I know I can do pretty much by myself, X, Y, or Z would, would that be helpful? And so I would sort of start there and, and sometimes I would get a yes and great. And sometimes I would get a no and great. I saved myself the time. And part of that was to make sure, is this actually a thing I can go do by myself mm-hmm. or with minimal input? And then I think the third thing was, was going back to what I was saying earlier about, about experimenting of like, of just looking, you know, see where there were opportunities to engage in that way. What's the safe to try experiment in that moment of, d- does this turn out to be helpful or not? And so mm-hmm. if I would do a thing or I would make make an MVP of a thing or a slide deck or a document or something like that, and then share it and sort of pay attention to, do people feel like this is useful? Is that the response I'm getting? Or has it just been extra work for them to even read over it? And if it's useful, do more of that. If it wasn't, do less of that. And just sort of over time, kind of learn the patterns of, of what was actually going to be helpful. Yeah, that totally lands. And I also think that something you did that was very helpful and and also quite strategic was like you were a fresh pair of eyes in a non-judgy way so like my sense often of your feedback about something would be like would be more like I'm finding this really hard to do like I'm finding this kind of thing hard to facilitate or I'm finding this way difficult to navigate. Could we try this? Or have you all thought about that? Or I don't know how to fix it, but this is the experience that I'm having. All of which is like generative and fresh and useful, especially for a team like me and Ali who've been working together for a super, super long time. 
Whereas the less helpful thing is a new person just being like, this sucks. We should not do it. And you're like, okay, well, like, I I don't know what to do with that. So I feel like it was, it was a helpful balance of noticing and reflecting your experience and, and opening pockets where we're like, Ooh, maybe there is a V2 here that we haven't thought about, but also being kind of aware of the fact that there might have been history and thinking that you didn't know about and that you didn't necessarily have like the silver bullet all of the time that was going to solve the problem. And I think that's, I think that's a a thing when you're new in a self-managing system that's been around for a while and has been experimenting on itself for a while is like sharing the feedback and assertions, but also holding them quite lightly. Yeah, I, I think that that totally resonates in terms of how I remember the experience. And I think what's interesting about that is that the other side of that was my was my growth edge because initially, especially, and probably still to this day, I would say, hey, I'm noticing this thing is harder than it feels like it should be or isn't working or isn't landing or whatever. And you know, you and and or Allie would say, Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense, or ask a question. And you know, you'd say, So what, what do you propose we do instead? And I'd be like, Oh, right. <laughs> like I'm not my like it's not just going to be for someone else, you know, smarter and with more experience to figure out the smart thing we're going to do. That's that's part of my responsibility as well as to, and I think the hardest thing about that for me was to like have a perspective when interacting with, especially early on with you and you and Allie, who obviously were extremely welcoming and I, I have an enormous amount of respect for. So it was it was always a little bit a little bit intimidating to have a perspective about like how we might change our our working agreements as a team for for an example. And so the the other side of that approach for me was definitely learning to also form and be ready to share a perspective to kind of move us forward. One of uh, my unofficial jobs at the ready and on this podcast is to turn extremely nuanced wisdom into t-shirt slogans. Mm. And my read on everything the two of you just talked about and unpacked that was really, really exciting and interesting is it almost boils down to what's missing versus what's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so in the early days of joining a system that has the richness of a self-managing system, if you focus on what's missing, you're contributing, you're filling those gaps, you're pointing out to others what's not there that would allow you to flourish. You're like playing a game of of filling in. And then you kind of earn the right then to start to identify what's wrong. And you earn the context. And so I really like that, like what's missing, what's wrong as a graduated approach to this stuff. That's that's spot on. And it's very like shuhari vibes, right? Like right. my biggest complaint and where I'm just a real asshole is when people don't learn the moves right. and then they want to sing an aria. And I'm like, bitch, you don't know a scale. Come on. <laughs> but I think to your point, if you if you have that lens on it, that lens on mastery, then you, you, you almost can't go wrong. Yeah, it just seems like it, it seems like it would simplify things for for everyone. And it is, I mean, I understand the desire to be, to be and to appear to be valuable in a system that's driven on reputation. Of course. Like, you know, you want to show up, you want to show out. I get it. And it seems like if you take the right kind of subtle approach there where you're, where you're looking at where you can shine by being additive, it just is a much smoother road than saying like, I'm going to, I'm going to take on like a major pillar of how this system works and just yank that out and see what happens, which is not to say that it's right. I think there's an important differentiation there between saying that the way things are is the way they should be, but rather saying that if you're joining a system that is built on a dance, that is a a flock of birds, you want to kind of get into the flow of that information system and that power dynamic and that structure 
so that you have both a knowledge of it and it is a part of you and you're a part of it. And then it's a lot easier to start to move major components of what makes that thing itself. So it is a, it's almost like an assimilation thing where you want to assimilate to the structure of the group without assimilating to accepting things that you don't think are the way they should be. And that is an interesting and delicate dance. Yeah, and I think that that comes back again to the idea of experimentation. I think also if if you spent six months just totally sitting back, you also wouldn't have learned enough about about the system to start making those bigger moves. I think it takes those those small things where you sort of lean in or, or poke or nudge a little bit here and there. Again, where where you know enough to know it's sort of safe and you're not ripping out a pillar or you're not really derailing something sacred, but you can see, see how, how the system responds and, and, and see, see what you learn. So I, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. And the other thing that that brought to mind too was we talk a lot about tensions in terms of continuous participatory change and like things that we're noticing and things we're sensing. And I think that word has sort of, has a little bit of a negative connotation in sort of common use, but I think it's really, it's always really important, but especially when you're new, I think to a system like this, to think about, to really keep your eyes peeled for the tensions that are opportunities, not the tensions that are, are issues or problems. I think that's exactly to your point, Aaron, about what's missing versus what's wrong is where do you see that that sort of adjacent possible, that that thing that could be a little bit a little bit better that still respects the way it is, and, and where can you help that happen versus being sort of having friction with something and wanting to, to fix it. So Alistair, when you think about your first year here and the places that you have found to experiment and contribute. Tell me your, your greatest hits. What's the, the top three highlight reel? Yeah. So a couple things come to mind. The, the first is I took over a couple months in facilitating one of our, our opera the meetings, which we call OS coffee, which is essentially sort of a lean coffee format, but where we can talk about both transformation work and our, our own OS. Um, and so I, I took over facilitating that and I, I thought it would be a really good learning opportunity, especially early on to um, you know, get, a, get a feel for the system and, and be able to engage, but again, having it be safe to try. And that, that's been really, really fun because by sort of getting feedback and, and noticing each time what was working, what wasn't, we've sort of been able to, to iterate on it every time. So we have one of those once a month and we've gone through several iterations of how do we um, keep the conversation bursty? So do we use the Zoom chat to kind of to kind of make a stack? Lately, we've just all been staying unmuted and, and talking when we feel moved to talk and, and also sort of iterating on the mural board that we use for that and working in the OS coffee and sort of inviting people to do mini workshops inside of that space and things like that. So I, I think that that has been an, an example of where I was sort of given the opportunity to to run with something that is important to the, the system, but you know, is not is not going to be a uh, below the, law, the waterline situation and really have fun noticing and, and having others notice where could it be a little bit better and what should we try next? So that, mm-hmm. that's been really fun. Another one that comes to mind is for the last couple of months, I've been um, doing the third interview in our internal hiring process. And through through doing that interview as it was initially designed several times and then chatting with the, the hiring team about what I was noticing having having done that interview and what the folks who had done that done the interview previously were noticing we sort of found some ways of, of iterating on that as well and so and bringing in a little bit more um, of the the candidate facilitating and changing sort of the the brief we gave them ahead of time and the most recent iteration of that is we're now doing a simulation so I get to be a 
uh, pretty reasonable client, but one that needs typical some help. client, yeah, which has been really fun. It is surprisingly easy to, well, <laughs> to get, we have enough experience <laughs> to get in that that headspace. So that that's been fun. So that, yeah, I think that was another example of of to your point, noticing noticing just through experience and iteration where things there's still some opportunities for a little bit of improvement and and leaning into that. And then the third one, I think, is probably my favorite, which is. Pretty shortly after I joined the Ready, I was asking you, Rodney and Allie, for a lot of feedback as we were doing things client-facing together and things like that. And I remember you said, well, I think what we need is to have this be sort of a feedback-rich environment for, for all three of us. So why don't you propose a working agreement that, that will allow all of us to give each other feedback? And so what we landed on was a, was a working agreement where after anything client-facing, any of us that could ask each of the the others, are there any starts, stops, or continues from that that session we just did? And the other the other one or two people on the team can get feedback if they have any. They can ignore it if they don't have time. There's no obligation to answer, but it's just sort of a cadence of of asking for feedback. We definitely noticed we were getting a lot of value out of that, and then I think it really it really fulfilled its its true potential when at some point. <laughs> I, I asked, I, I made it into an acronym and I think it was any, any start stops continues, I think like regarding that sesh or something. So it was A-S-S-C-R-T-S and you and Allie both independently in Slack were like, can we just call it ASCATS? ASCATS. And, so, and so now we just, ASCATS is just shorthand uh, for, hey, you know, do you have any feedback? Any start stops continues after that session? Um, do you have any feedback for me? And it's like all over the ready now. It is oh, definitely yeah. I mean, spread. ASCATS is, it's catching. It is. Yeah, it is catchy. So I'd like that t-shirt as well. Aaron, That's easy. <laughs> and I have to say that ASCATS seems like a great place to draw things to a close. We can do our own little ASCATS session after this episode. Alistair, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you if they want to stalk you on the internet? Probably the best places would either be LinkedIn or on Twitter, um, or on the Ready's website. Perfect. If you enjoyed our show today, or if you didn't, but you like some of our other shows, that's <laughs> totally fine. Uh, please leave us a review. Leave a good one. I mean, they're all good because you all are very kind to us. We love your reviews. We read them all. I show them to my mom. It's the whole situation. Or uh, forward our show to someone who needs it or just follow it. That also helps with the algorithms. Thanks so much. And finally, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. Get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something.